going to focus on some things about the love walk because it's, it's, James covers that. And we've been doing a series on James. We, 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 we've looked at how James really covers a lot of things that, that hinder us receiving, hinder God doing things in our lives. Uh, and we, we've looked at a number of these. I think this is our fifth week on this series so far. Uh, the audio is available for the others. I don't have the video for those. But um, uh, James is a book of action. Uh, everything about it, he says, let me see it in your life. Let me, let, me, let me see it demonstrated. He talks about faith without works is dead. He says, show me your faith with your works. I want to see that faith coming out of you. He, he's, he, and when he talks about wisdom, he said, let, let, let him show his wisdom. Whoever's wise and understanding, let him show it with his good conduct. And he says the same thing about the, the, our love walk. Uh, he talks about the, the, that love being demonstrated and in action. And he gives a number of examples of that. Uh, we know that the Bible says faith works by love. I think it's Galatians 5 verse 6. And, and this is an area that we've all got to grow in. Um, and, uh, and, and, you know, 1 John 3 verse 18 We'll look in James in a minute, just laying some foundation, because I, I believe there's some things about love that we can learn and grow in. Uh, 1 John 3.18 says, My little children, let us love in word. Sorry, let us not love <laughs> in word. And I think it, it more has the idea of not just in word. But let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. Um, and, and, and love is to be demonstrated. Uh, it's, it, it's, it's to be shown. Uh, through our action and how we treat a person. So James, when he talks about this, gives practical examples. He shows the love walk working in various areas. Uh, any, any, anybody can quote, love is patient, love is kind and stuff like that. But is that coming out in our actions? Um, and, you know, <laughs> I'm going to share this. Um, I had, I'm not going to share all the details because I'll probably cry. I had... Uh, an experience about two weeks ago where the love of God touched me. I've, I, it's, to be honest with you, I've never felt anything like that. Um, and, and I know it's changed me on the inside. It, I saw things from a completely different perspective. I saw things from a completely different perspective of love and, and the comparison between human love, which is selfish what I can get, what I want, what that person does for me, as opposed to the unselfish love of God. And, and I was so touched by it, it's, it's, it's done something to me um, that I still can't, I'm still coming to understand myself. And, and I'm not going to go much into details, otherwise I will end up bawling. But I, I felt the love of God, not just God's love for me, I felt it through me for, okay? And, and flowing through me, I, I saw in a way, scriptures just began to make sense to me, where, where the Bible says God does, gives us the desires of our heart. And I, I got that comprehension of the giving nature of love. See, human love is unselfish. Human love is, is very self-based. Um, and we're all like that. Um, but, but the whole love of God is about giving. It's about giving to, to the point that, that, you know, he doesn't just make a promise to, to give you the desires of your heart. That is the motivation of love. He, he feels that. 
He doesn't just promise it. And he does, does it in action. He really want, he looks at a person and just sees their desires and his heart just reaches out. I want to meet those desires. The love in him reaches out and just wants to pour out whatever it is that person wants and to be that and to give that to them unselfishly, unconditionally. Um, and, and like I said, this became more than just seeing it in scripture. I felt that love myself and things just began to fall into place in a way that I've never comprehended it. Um, and, and I'm not going to go into any more details than that, but I do believe that the love of God is one of the most powerful things there is. And many people have never really learned how to operate in that love. I know myself, I could have taught a message on love. I could have looked at doctrine on love, could have done all kinds of things, but there still would be that root of, of selfishness in how it operates. The selflessness of love is, is a completely different comprehension of who the Father is. And when He looks at us uh, and, and, and His heart just wants to do things for us and wants to love us and give. That's why it says, for God so loved the world that He gave. Now, I could have quoted that and I said, love is giving, but, but something wasn't connecting on the inside with it until I actually felt what that love is. Okay, But... Um, and, and you begin to realize as well how powerful that scripture is, which talks about faith works by love. There, there is such a power behind the love of God that enables faith to work in your life. And I believe God wants us to step into this in our, in our own relationships, in our own lives, in, the, in, the, in, in our families, in the way we treat another person, the way we view them. Love is not just a feeling. It's not just... You know, I love that person and what they do for me, <laughs> okay? But it's, I love that person and I just want to pour out of myself to, to love them and to give to them, yeah? And um, anyway, <laughs> didn't quite intend to say all of that, but when you start talking about the subject, this starts to come out. And I know it's done something in me. I, it's, 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 I, I look at myself and I, honestly, I, I can't quite put my finger on myself through some things. And I look at it and I think, wow. Uh, there, there, there's something so different on the inside of me because of that. Amen. Anyway, <laughs> let's, let's go to James 2. Let's go to James chapter 2. And look at some of the things that James talks about, about the love walk. Um, and and, and I, I really believe this is something that, 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 that we can capture in such a way that, that it activates the power of God more in our lives. Um, uh, you know, I, 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 be, I, I do believe, I'm more and more convinced that the love of God is the driving force behind His power. It's why He heals people. It's not just a doctrine term. And I believe in the power of covenant. I believe when God makes a covenant, He will do what He said He'll do. But, but when you suddenly realize he, he wants to heal me because of how much He loves me, or He wants to meet my needs because of how much He loves me, he looks at me and He sees those needs and love just drives Him to want to, to, want to meet them. And he, His desire is for us to step into that as well. Okay. Anyway, James chapter 2 verse 1. This is, this is one of the first aspects of love that James, James covers in the way we conduct ourselves toward each other. 
Now, this comes just after uh, things like in James 1, where he talks about be doers of the word and not hearers only. See, James is all about action, the demonstration of faith, the demonstration of wisdom, the demonstration of love in our lives and what it should look like and how it should come out. Amen. And, and, and I think all of us can grow in, all, in, in that. All of us can come up in, in, in the way where, 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 where these things completely change us. The word of God is not just there for doctrine. It is there to change us. It's there to change the way we behave. And, and I don't know about you, but I thank God. First of all, I need to change and thank God I can. And, and, and we all need to change. Uh, and, and He can change us. This is the beauty of the things of God. Is that, you know, I think in the world people believe you can't change. Or sometimes they even believe you take forever to change. Or, or, or you're always going to be who you are. But... At the very core, we're new creations. We have the nature of God on the inside of us. And, and our minds and our own personalities get in the way of that. But his, he, he, we can change. And sometimes even God can do some pretty remarkable changes inside a person. Uh, that change the way they think, the way they view things. And, and that changes can happen. Amen? Now, let's look at this. James, James chapter 2 verse 1. How many, of you, how many of you believe that we can step into the love of God? The, the, the love of God is described in the word and, and, and what that really is. Now, let's, okay, we're gonna, let's look at how he says this in James, James uh, chapter 2, verse 1. <coughs> My brethren, do not hold the faith. Now remember, faith works by love. Faith works by love. So he says, do not hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with partiality. Partiality. Now, you don't immediately read that and maybe think the love walk, but this is about it. Because he, he relates, he goes on to account the, the, the way we're treating people. The way we're treating people in, 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 in a particular example that he gives here. Now, I'll read it in a moment, but partiality, you know... What is partiality? To be honest with you, partiality, to be partial, you first have to judge. And, then he, and, and after talking about partiality, he goes on to talk about judgment. And we might talk about that either this week or another. Judging a person. You, you have to make some judgments about one person or another, and then you partial toward them based upon those judgments. Okay? But partiality, one of the words we would use these days... Related to, the, instead of partiality, would probably be the word prejudice, which is a big word in, in, in the world these days. Um, and, and prejudice, you know, there's all kind of prejudices, aren't there? There's, there's gender pre, uh, prejudices uh, between male and female. There's racial prejudices. There's, there's social prejudices, uh, showing preference to people based upon their, their social status. Uh, the way they dress and looking at somebody uh, and, and how they, you know, who they are and in some way making a judgment and then treating them differently or partially because of that judgment. Either treating them better or treating them worse. Yeah. And so the, the, the whole context of prejudice is, is the way we treat people, uh, treat people in a person, which is the love walk. The love walk. Now, does love treat two people differently? 
Not if you love them both. <laughs> Not if the love of God is coming out of them, uh, toward them both. And in fact, he uses the word partiality, certainly in the New King James Version, more than once in this passage. I haven't read them all, but I'm going to give you the meanings because they're different Greek words. In verse 1 here, the word partiality, it means favoritism. It means favoritism. It means having respect of persons. Now, does the Bible tell us God is no respecter of persons? In other words, he doesn't show partiality. Does it matter to God whether you're living on the street and you're homeless? Well, okay, it matters in the sense he wants to help you, but is he going to be partial toward you or whether you're living in a mansion? Is he going to treat a person differently based upon their social state? Does he treat a person differently based upon their education or, or, or the, where they come from in the world? It makes no difference to him, okay? So th- this God is not a respecter of persons, is part of who he is as love. This word here in verse 1 has got to do with being a respecter of persons. In verse 4, certainly in the New King James, he, he uses the word partiality again. This is a different word, and this means to discriminate. To discriminate. Um, what is it to discriminate? Well, <laughs> what do you think it is to discriminate? Anyone? It's the same idea. It treats someone differently. Okay? It means to judge. It means to withdraw from. from. Okay? You withdraw from somebody because of the judgments and the discriminations. Uh, it means to separate, to make a difference. Uh, or, or it also means to prefer. Preference. Okay? You know, discrimination is one person getting a promotion because of a fact. and Not, not just because they deserve the job better, but because of... A factor that shouldn't play in to whether they get the job or not, okay? Now, in verse 9, he also uses the word partiality. And this means favoring an individual. So it's a similar idea. Favoring an individual or or to respect the person based upon the external conditions of the person. Um, And to discriminate. So all all of these words that he uses in this passage relate to discriminating, preferring one person above another, withdrawing due to differences between each other. Should we be doing that? Is this an area we can come up in? Now, if the world without the love of God can see the seriousness of this, can we not see the seriousness of this in the church? Can we not come to the place where we recognize that actually these are judgments I'm making in my heart? Sometimes even, even unconscious as the world teaches us these days. But surely if the world can get this right, the church can get this right. Should not love be shown in the church in a completely different realm to what the world is even capable of? It should be. Should be. And so I think this is an area that, 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 that the church shouldn't have divisions based upon different factors like social class and shouldn't have divisions based upon, upon skin color. I don't believe in that kind of stuff. Shouldn't have d- d- divisions based upon education or anything like that. Or, or, all the different factors we could, we could lift off. But sadly, it, 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 this kind of prejudice is actually very common in the church. And James covers it. Because it's important. Do you realize that this factor, this factor in us, can hinder aspects of our faith life working? People say, you know, why is my faith not working? Why? I'm believing God for this. And they don't make an association of specific areas of the love walk that can be shutting down their, their, their faith in operation. 
okay? And this is why James covers these, as we've seen in previous teachings. This, this all relates to the whole book of James. He covers things that cause us to have no results in our lives. And we need to see the seriousness of the different aspects of the love walk and how the enemy can subtly use this to, to hinder us being able to move forward. And things that we just think it's okay that we're like that or we've become socially like that. But as, we, as I said a moment ago, the love of God can change us. The love of God can cause that transformation on the inside. Amen? I believe that. And, and so let's actually read what he says here in James and then I'll comment some more because I only read verse 1. So verse 2, James chapter 2 verse 1. <coughs> and here he shows making a distinction between people based upon their, their wealth and their social status. Okay, So he says, For if there should come into your assembly a man with gold rings and fine apparel, and, and, and there should also come in a poor man in filthy clothes. How many of you seen in churches with people who you know, dress the best, act the best, and whatever, get, get more status, and they, get, and they get thrust to the forefront? I don't want to be in an environment like that. Yeah? Do you? He says, and you pay attention to the one wearing the fine clothes and say to him, you sit here in a good place. And say to the poor man, you stand there and you sit at my footstool. Treating them differently. Have you not shown partiality, discrimination among yourselves and become judges? There it is. With evil thoughts. What's caused that discrimination is stuff on the inside and, and, and wrong thinking. Not being driven and motivated by love. He says, listen, my beloved brethren. Oh, I'm going to share what you, what you shared. You forward to me about beloved. Do you mind? It didn't come from, well, it didn't come from you forward, but I was really touched by that. I'm going to put this out. I didn't originate this myself, but um, Jonathan forwarded me an email two weeks ago, a week or two ago. And I just thought, that's just incredible. Um, and it was about the temptations of Jesus. When Jesus was tempted, how the enemy came to him and said, if you are the son of God. And I never, I never thought about what he pointed out. And I was like, whoa, that's incredible. But actually, God, Jesus had just been baptized by John the Baptist in water. And as he came out of the water, what did, what did he hear? What, what did the voice say? What did the father say to him? You're my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. You are my beloved son. So this had just been spoken to him as he came up out of the water. He then goes led by the spirit into the wilderness and the enemy starts playing on his mind. But the enemy does not say to him, if you are the beloved son of the father. The enemy says to him, if you are the son of God. He removes that word beloved in those temptations. Why? Because the enemy doesn't want you to know your beloved. He'll t he, will, he, will, he, will, he will attack your mind and make you question whether you're the righteousness of God and all kinds of things. But, but he couldn't even say to Jesus, if you're the beloved son of God. Because even saying it to Jesus would have probably stirred the revelation inside of him. I am so loved by my father. Who he, who he views me as, I am so loved. And he even says that right here. I've lost the verse. <laughs> it's so, I just think that's so powerful. The enemy didn't bring that part of it to him in the temptation. He just, if you're the son of God, he made it almost emotionless. You know, if you're the son of God, you know, cast yourself off the temple. If you're the son of God, turn the, turn the stones into bread. 
But he didn't want Jesus thinking about himself as beloved by the Father. And this is what, this is what I read here. What does he say? Verse 5. Listen, my beloved brethren. That's who we are. We're loved. We have been touched by the love of the Father. But that love is supposed to transform us to make us lovers of others. There's something wrong, something's not functioning right if we're touched by love and then we can't give that love. Remember, remember Jesus told parables. One of the parables about the man who was forgiven a great debt. And then, you know, because he said, oh, I can't pay back. But then he rushed straight out and grabbed another servant who, who, who owed him little, little amount. He said, oh, no, no, I'm going to throw you in prison for that you, until you pay the whole thing. And he wouldn't treat people with the same way he had been treated. And that's, that, that's not what the Father's looking for. When you begin to realize what the Father's done for me, and this is why even a little bit later in, in James, he, he talks about showing mercy. In fact, I don't know where the verse is. Maybe we should just read that, that one quickly. Um, let me find that verse quickly. I think it's also in James 2. And he talks about us showing mercy. Is it verse 13? Hold on. James 2.13, let me go. <coughs> For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Mercy is more powerful than judgment. How many of you love God being merciful to you when you've made a mess? How many of you want to be judged? How many of you want God to just judge you for the mess that you've made or the things that you've do, done wrong? Or do we cry out, God, have mercy on me for what I, my stupidity? And we're like, God, I need your mercy in this situation. Lord, have mercy on me. I'm messed up. Have mercy on me. And then we turn around and somebody else just needs a little bit of forgiveness, just needs a little bit of mercy because they're not a perfect person. And then we just withhold that. This is not, that means his mercy is not changing us, flowing through us to them. It's, 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 we're just using it selfishly. We're using it for what I can get, but we're not demonstrating it. So this is, and this is just only a few verses after what we're talking about. What kind of people, when God's mercy touches us, how should we be to another person? Now, when do you need mercy? Do you need mercy when you do everything right? When you don't make a mistake. Do you need someone to show you mercy when you haven't done anything wrong? Or is mercy needed when you've done something wrong and you don't deserve to be forgiven? You, don't, you deserve them to treat you badly. You deserve to have them mistreat you or whatever else. And, and, and yet they, they make a choice to be merciful toward you and see that you're not a perfect person but they're going to be merciful toward you anyway. That's mercy. You don't deserve it. But love is merciful. Okay? And this is why he says, judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. What is the Father looking for for us? To show, there it is again in James. Show mercy. Come out in your actions, in, in how you respond to that person, that mercy is reflected. This is a way that you get more mercy, you know that. The more merciful you are, the more mercy you can receive. 
God has made a connection between these two things. That's why he says judgment without mercy will be shown to someone who shows no mercy. He says if you want more mercy, then don't be a person who judges with no mercy. Is this New Testament? Is this Bible? That should make you not just fall on your face and say, Lord, have mercy on me, but Lord, help me be merciful. Okay? Anyway, let's try to get back to... <laughs> so, so this whole passage in, in, in verse, uh, James 2 verse 5, you know, God's chosen the poor of this world and he says, verse 6, but you have dishonored the poor man. Did not the rich oppression drag you out of the courts? He says, they're mistreating you and you're doing everything you can to, to, to impress them. Get their attention. And that the person here who's done you nothing wrong, you're making a judgment against them and treating them differently. And then in verse 8, he connects this in. He says, if you really fulfill the royal law, according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You do well. Who's our neighbor? Wasn't Jesus asked that question? He dealt with that issue. We told the story of the Good Samaritan. The Jews and the Samaritans, I don't know all the details, but I mean, there was prejudice between them. And they didn't talk and treat and mix and all kinds of things. There was a division between them culturally and for various reasons. And yet this Samaritan comes, finds a Jew in need, beaten up, and he becomes the good Samaritan to him and, 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 and is his neighbor. See, a neighbor should be behaving like this. It's what the indication is. But if you, verse 9, but if you show partiality, what do you do? You commit sin. That's what it is. It's called it what it is. Partiality is sin. <laughs> it's, not, it's not beat, down, beat around. Is that, is that statement real and true? We don't think about it as sin a lot of the time, but he, play, he plainly states it for us to understand. This is what this kind of treatment of people is. And it, does it have place in the life of a Christian and a believer and in a church? Shouldn't do. No, it shouldn't. And are convicted by the law as transgressors. Okay, so this is something that, 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 you know, when we begin to feel better than or superior to other people, Remember, remember, remember Jesus told the parable of the Pharisee and the man. Uh, I think it was a Pharisee and a beggar who went to pray at the, at the temple. And, and the Pharisee was self-righteous. And he looked down at, I think it was a beggar, wasn't he? Uh, he looked down on him and he, as he was praying, it says he prayed thus by himself. That's what I, I, I like that phrase, by himself, because I don't think God was really getting involved in the prayer. It was a selfish prayer. It was a look at me prayer. And, 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 and it was, I'm, I'm somebody, he's not. And he says, Lord, I thank God I'm not like this little filthy beggar over here. I looked down, oh, I looked down his nose at him. How many of you know those, that's, that's kind of religious attitudes in us have no place. They're, that's a very religious kind of attitude. But he's, he is, it's that sense of superiority over, better than. That's a judgment. This is why there's so many scriptures which talk about coming to God with a humble, contrite heart. Coming to God, not thinking of yourself more highly than you ought. Thank God for the, the, the work He's done. He's made us the righteousness of God. But that doesn't make me better than anyone else. 
I'm righteous because I'm beloved. And, and the next guy next to me is beloved too. And they can receive that as well. Amen. So the only answer, you know, prejudice just breeds more prejudice. Judgment breeds more judgment. And, and, and it can, you know, when, when you're a person who has been prejudiced against, it can make you prejudiced to others. Is that the solution? No. The only solution is to allow the love of God to work in our hearts uh, to, 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 to transform the way that we treat other people and how we are toward them. Can this be done? Do, do we believe God can do this to us? I don't, I don't, I'm not pointing fingers. <laughs> That's judgment. Then look at the guy next to you and think, oh yeah, you need this message. <laughs> okay? This is where we look at ourselves. And we say, Father God, has that love... I like the fact that James goes into specifics. I really do. Because it's easy to say, oh, walk in love. And it's such a general idea. Like, oh, yes, I'm walking in love toward them. But James really digs into the nitty gritty here <coughs> with these kind of examples. And you begin to say, have I really demonstrated this? Have I been merciful? Have I shown partiality and judged? Do I look down upon one person because of another? Do I feel superior or better than another person? All these kind of factors. Am I selfish or can I give? Is it an unselfish giving of them? Okay. It's, it's, uh... And what, what, you know, the beauty about the love walk, and we all know this, love is the fulfillment of the law. Walking in love. A lot of people that are kind of bringing the law back into things and saying Christians must follow the law. And I don't even want to go into all of that. But actually, when you love someone, you're not going to do them harm. When you love them with the love of God. When, now, when you love them with a selfish love, <laughs> that's another matter. Okay? Uh, and, 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 and it's easy for us all to slot into that selfish love. But when the love of God begins to flow through you and it transforms you and removes that selfishness, you never, you're not going to do them wrong, are you? It's, uh, what, what, what is it to judge someone? What is judgment? What is it to judge? Now, there's a scripture. You see, people get confused. There's a scripture which says, a spiritual man judges all things. And in that sense, it's got to do with make, uh, making a distinction, a discernment of, of things. But notice this. It doesn't say judges all people. It says judges all things. Okay? But the judgment that is wrong is a judgment of people. What, what is judgment? A, do you realize that a judgment is an opinion? When you form an opinion or, or draw a conclusion about someone, about a, a, a person's situation or event, uh, even unspoken, even anything, and, and that conclusion then begins to affect the way you behave in the, I, I, toward them. You ever heard someone say, well, I don't want to judge, but... In other words, wait, here comes my judgment. <laughs> okay? I'm about to judge. I just, it doesn't matter what you preface it with. It doesn't mean if you say, it's like when someone comes to you and says, I don't want to gossip, but. <laughs> okay? You know gossip's about to come out of the mouth. 
And they, they, they use that to excuse it away in the, in the mind. We shouldn't say, I don't want to judge, but. We just should say, I don't want to judge. Full stop. No judgment. <laughs> that should really be where it stops. Okay? So in, in the context there, in fact, the, the Greek word judgment has to do with exactly that. It's got to do with an opinion or a decision given concerning something, um, it, coming to a conclusion about something based upon those opinions. How many of you realize your opinion isn't always right? <laughs> it's not one of the easiest things to, to accept. You know, we can be very proud that I know I've got it right. But actually, humility is something, and this is something that we can all grow in it as well. When we come to the realization, my opinion isn't always right about something. I can get it wrong. There's only one opinion, <laughs> which is not just an opinion, but it's truth, and that's his truth. And actually, I can yield my ideas to his truth more and more, and that can transform me and change me. Amen? But very often, showing your opinion is a judgment. I mean, some of them we might laugh at when you look at something, oh, I don't like the color of their, their dress. What, that's still a that is an opinion, isn't it? It's drawing a conclusion about something. Okay? Now, that one you might think is a bit less, a bit, a bit less harmful. Okay? But, but you can have far deeper conclusions about things. Now, religion is very good at judging people. Religion is very good at classifying, classing people. But actually, I believe the body of Christ needs to learn to come out of this kind of thing. Needs to, to learn to come to a place where the love of God does transform us. You know, love will do far more to, to release revival and the move of God than anything else. People say, well, the, the power is in prayer. No, no, only if those prayers are motivated by love. Yeah? And should our praying be motivated by love? It should be. Like, you know, that Pharisee, you see this through the Pharisees. I, 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 for a long time, I, I wondered to myself, what is the real difference between Jesus and the Pharisees? Because people think it's all about the traditions. Okay? Now, man's traditions can become a hindrance and a blockage to, to the Word of God. But the difference between Jesus and the Pharisees went deeper than just their traditions. That, that wasn't, people think, I've come out of traditional church, or I've come out of tradition, so I'm now free. You know, I'm, not, I'm not a religious Christian anymore. And then they go straight into word, word or charismatic or whatever, you know, life, and then they still continue on as a religious person, <laughs> showing judgment and showing all kinds. The difference between Jesus and the Pharisees was the love walk. That what that's what defined the difference. And the amount of times the, the Pharisees were watching Jesus and drawing conclusions about his actions and judging him. And they, and they were like, oh, is he going to heal on the Sabbath? Is he going to do this? Oh, I don't like what he did. And, they're gonna, we're gonna, and, they, and they hardened toward him and wanted to go out and kill him because of that. That's, you know what? Judgment pushed far enough will do that to a person. You want to harm them. You want to destroy them. You want to kill them. That drove them so much to a place where they just wanted to, to kill Jesus. And we've got to, this is something, we, we, we need to be, come to a place where we are free from just passing sentence on people. But instead we can be merciful. Let's, if you look at quickly, let's talk a bit about the mercy of God. Micah chapter 7. Mercy, mercy can be defined as compassion shown toward an offender. 
including an enemy. <laughs> now, if you, can, if you can show compassion to an enemy, what can you show to a person who's not an enemy? It's a person who's a friend but just did some wrong. <laughs> or your spouse. <laughs> they shouldn't be an enemy. <laughs> now, God could show his love and mercy when we were his enemies. Okay? But compassion and mercy, this is what they've got to do with. They, they, they've got to do with a discretionary power to, uh, uh, given to a judge to pardon someone an act or, or an act of kindness. To pardon someone for what they've done. You know, we, we, judges in court, that's what they do. They pass judgments. That's their job based upon the law. To weigh someone up against the law to pass a judgment. But when, when it, like for example, when a judge decides to show mercy and pardon someone for what they've done, that's an act of mercy. What is it to pardon someone for what they've done? Set them free. To treat them as if they never did it. I, you know, I, I'm not quite, I'm sure they do it in this country too. I don't know all the deal. But you know, like in America, the American president has the power to pardon someone. And sometimes someone on death row, someone might be a murderer, someone's done some horrific things and they pardon them. What does that mean? They get freed. Do they, do they have to suffer the punishment for what they did? They are pardoned. You, in other words, the law no longer punishes them for what they've done. Or treats them from the perspective of what they've done. So what is it for us to show mercy and to pardon another person? It means to no longer treat them from the perspective of what they've done. To be merciful toward them. That's true forgiveness, isn't it? Is that what God's done for us? Is that what God did for us? Does he treat us based upon what we've done or does he treat us based upon his love and forgiveness? It's powerful, isn't it? It's really powerful. Is, 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 is this... Is this <laughs> registering a little bit? Should we change topic? Should we do some... No, you're okay with this one? <laughs> okay. Now the Greek word for mercy speaks of kindness or goodwill toward uh, the afflicted. It talks, it talks about being joined to them with a desire to help them. Joined. I love that. Mercy. It's not just, oh, I feel great feelings of mercy toward you. Bye. I hope you're okay. Didn't, now, earlier in James, or actually later, when he's talking about faith works by love, he gives the example of compassion. He says, you see a person you know, who needs something, and you just say to them, oh, be warmed and filled by, I hope you get your needs met. I'll pray for you. <laughs> and he says, that's not, that, 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 there's no demonstration there, looking at someone. But actually, th th this is what so much of the book of James is about. It's the demonstration. You're seeing a person, and you become joined with them in a desire to help them. You see those weaknesses. You see the flaws. You see what they've done wrong, and your mercy and your love extends out to them to, to actually help them through and out of that. Isn't that amazing? Let's look at, let's look at what did I say, Micah 7. Micah 7 verse 18. Who is a God like you? Is there anything like, is there anyone like him? 
Who is a God like you? You know what? The judgment of God is so, is so focused on in, in many portion, portions of the church. Now, is God the judge of the universe? Is he, the, he is the judge. He, it's, it's, it's his position, isn't it? But you know what? I, I think it's in Lamentations. I'm pretty sure there's a scripture which, talks, which, which, which basically indicates God does not judge willingly. He judges in very often in situations because he has to. But you know what? Very often he'll do everything he can to not judge and give opportunity for a person to judge themselves. And then sometimes the judgment has to, has to fall. And he, very often he gives space to change and, and, and grow. And, 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 and you know, but even after judgment, God is merciful. He picks you back up, isn't he? His mercy. But so many Christians are so focused on the hard of God and it's because they really don't have an aspect a, a, a revelation of, of, of God as love and of this aspect of it's who he is this drives him who is a who is a God like you and then what does he say pardoning iniquity there it is pardoning we just talked about pardoning didn't we pardoning is letting someone off for what they've done not treating them for what they've done and even allowing them to grow and change Pardoning iniquity, passing over the transgression of the remnant of his, of his heritage. Doing what to it? Passing over the transgression. What is it to pass over the transgression? That's a similar idea. It's almost continue acting as if it's not there and treat them as if it's not there. You just pass over it. That's, that's a quite incredible revelation about him. He does not retain his anger forever. Because he delights. What is it to delight in something? It means you love it. You really love it, don't you? It's a passion. What's your passion? Oh man, I love doing that. He delights in mercy. This is his passion. He's the judge of the universe. It's his position. But his passion is to be merciful. He will look for any excuse to be merciful if he can. In fact, half the time, he doesn't even need a reason. <laughs> he just wants to be merciful. It's, this is who he is. The whole plan of redemption, the whole reaching out of Jesus, everything, Jesus to the cross, was so that he could show mercy. He wanted to show mercy to humanity. Every one of us have received that mercy when we became a Christian. We can receive more of it and walk in more of it. He delights it. In other words, it gives him pleasure to show mercy. Now that's Micah 6 verse 18. Was it 6, 8, 7, 18? Go to Micah 6, 8. Oh, Father, just let your love transform us. Let the love of God become so much the driving force of who we are. Let, let your mercy, let, open our eyes to the mercy of God and help us to move away from judgment and treating people based upon a judgment of them and even becoming like you to the place that we can pass over their, their iniquities. It's, it's, it's such a joy to think, oh yes, God's forgiven my iniquities. God, he passed over my iniquities. He's thrown my transgressions as far as the east is from the west. He's forgotten about them. Oh, what you did to me. Who do you think you are? <laughs> okay, you don't even have to do it in that kind of attitude. 
but actually begin to think, I want to be merciful toward them like God has been merciful toward me. I wouldn't be where I am right now if it wasn't for the mercy of God. I mean that. I really do understand that. And I'm understanding it more and more. If I were to count up the amount of times I have made a complete mess of things, sometimes not big, sometimes really big, I put my foot in it, I have to, and, and you know how many, has God ever given up on me? Oh my word, thank God he hasn't. I've seen the anointing of God flow through me to touch someone else's life at some of the times I've least deserved it because I messed up in an area. I'm like, God, you, what? He doesn't. That's the love of God. Are we to be like that? One says, oh, it's hard. Or someone says, oh, you can't always be like that. Sorry, you, you what? You believe you can't always be like that. You're going to be stuck and you won't always be like that. But you can get before God and you can begin to, 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 to say, Father, help me to, to let the love of God transform me on the inside. Touch me in a way that transforms who I am. You know, change can take time, but it can be instant too. They can be amazing things. Do you know that the Holy Spirit can do surgery on the inside of you and, and do in a moment in His presence what could take years of counseling to do? I've seen it happen. That's why we can, should be able to believe that God can do this to us and to other people. Holy Spirit surgery. My word is... <sighs> Sometimes it feels like he does the surgery without any anesthetic. <laughs> How many of you like to go on the operating table with no anesthetic and they cut you open? <laughs> do you know that sometimes to do surgery, you've got to do a bit of damage first? They cut you open. You go on the operating table, they cut you open. Now thank God for anesthetic. But sometimes it feels like there's no anesthetic when it's happening in our lives. Actually, I think there probably is a bit more anesthetic than we realize. And you're like, ah, oh, God has an open wound. Ah! <laughs> but what's he doing? Now you can sit there in the natural and let that, let that fester. Or you can actually really draw into his presence. And allow him to do surgery on the inside of you. Say, Lord, the wound's open. And you allow his presence to go right in there. But the beautiful thing about surgery is they sew it back up afterwards. <laughs> Aren't you glad in the natural they sew it back up? I mean, you like, oh, I had surgery last week and they're like, I can see it's hanging out of you. <laughs> no, surgery means they sew it back up afterwards and he can heal it. And his kind of surgery doesn't even leave a scar. <laughs> Some scars are not that bad though. I mean, Jesus' scars were a good thing. Yeah, Jesus is going to have those scars for eternity. Someone says, why doesn't, why doesn't God heal the hole in his hand and the sign? Because those are covenant marks. They're signs of a covenant. Every time Jesus looks at his hands, he's reminded of what he did. Everyone, every time, he's right at the Father's right hand. Every time the Father looks at him, it reminds him. So some, some scars are not too bad. But as I was saying, Holy Spirit surgery can do a remarkable thing inside a person. And actually 
release changes and transformations in a person that would take years of counseling to do. I'd rather have, I, you know, I don't want to look saying, Lord, please give me pain. <laughs> but but I, I don't mind that kind of surgery because when the, what he brings forth afterwards can be beautiful. <laughs> Where are we? Micah, Micah 6, 8. You guys don't mind the side, the side journeys, do you? <laughs> Micah 6, I don't even know how long I've been teaching, but anyway. We started a bit late anyway. Micah 6, 8. Now, the first one we read in Micah 7, 18, well, it comes afterwards where it shows he delights in mercy. This one talks about us. He has shown you, O man, what is good. What is good? Now, is God a good God? Okay. What does the Lord require of you? Does God make it complicated? What does he require of you to do justly, (coughs) to do the right thing yourself? And what happens when we don't do the right thing? He's merciful. He helps us. Okay. But what else does he require? To love mercy. Someone says, oh, yes, I love it when I receive mercy. No, no, you're not hearing it right. I love it when God's merciful. Of course, that's not what he's saying. To love mercy is not just to love receiving mercy for me. That's selfish. But to love showing mercy. To to make mercy your passion like it's his passion. He delights in it. Lord, I want to be more merciful. I want to be like you. He was, I want to be more like you. Jesus, I want to be more like you. Love that person and show them mercy and pass over their iniquity. Oh, no, Lord, but you don't know what they did. I want to be more like you. Jesus, I'm so touched by the presence of God. And the Holy Spirit says, love them. No, 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 Lord, you don't understand what they did. But Lord, I want to be more like you. Jesus, make me more like you. <laughs> no, that was attitude. Okay. And then he comes back and he prompts you on the inside. And he says, love them. You push it away and say, but I can't. I don't want to. But Lord, touch me heal my life. And he says, love them. No, Lord, me. You, you, forget about them, Lord, me. I need you to touch me. <laughs> and he says, love them. Oh, Lord, I want your power to flow through my life. I want to walk in the miraculous like Jesus. I want to be more like him and walk on water. Love that person for what they did. Forgive them. Lord, I forgave them last time. I've forgiven them enough. Sorry, how many times do you forgive? When do you reach the end of your forgiveness? Oh, no, but Lord, you don't understand. It's easy for you to do. You're God. Sorry, who are we? The sons of God. We're the beloved sons of God. We are new creations on the inside. There is a power to walk in this and operate in that kind of forgiveness that is beyond the natural. And it is in you. It's there if you'll yield to it. And if you'll allow yourself and you'll choose 
to yield to it, he will do a work on the inside of you and release you from things too. But sometimes you have to let him do that work. But you put, we push it away and we don't want it. We don't want it to happen. And we want God to do all kinds of other things for us. Heal me, Lord. I need healing in my body. Show love and mercy. No, Lord, you don't understand. But, but Lord, I will, you don't understand what they did to me. And then out of the next breath, Lord, I don't understand why healing's not manifesting in my body. <laughs> Show me why I can't be healed. And then rises up on the inside of you. Love, pass over their iniquity. No, Lord, no, Lord, you don't understand. You forgive them, Lord, you forgive them. But they hurt me. Yeah? Do we come to the point where we say, Lord, let, I want to yield to that love. I want to let that love do in me what it needs to do in me. Right after talking about faith, speaking to mountains. Tell your mountain, go throw itself in the sea. Yes, Lord, disease, get out and go throw yourself in the sea. What does he say next? That's Mark 11, 22, 23, 24. What's verse 25? And when you stand praying, forgive. I heard one minister say this. He says, if you really want to know why people's prayers aren't answering, the first place you should go is their love walk. Often it's not their confessions. Often it's not. We teach a lot on that. And that's, that's good to get right. But you know, Paul said in 1 Corinthians 13, he said, if I have the faith to move mountains, but have not love, I'm nothing. So even my praying in tongues is like clanging cymbals. Now I'm not a drummer, but I can clang cymbals and it doesn't sound good. Because I ain't got the beat to make the drum make it sound what it should sound like. And doesn't he say, he uses it in connection to praying in tongues. I can pray with the tongues of men and angels. And oh, love them. No, Lord. I don't want to. You know what it goes up into heaven? Bong, dang, gong, ding, gong, dang, bong, gong, gong, ding, gong, dang, gong. Ding, gong, dang. Ah, I don't like that sound. <laughs> Just clanging cymbals. Because what is Paul teaching us? What, what brings it all together? What releases the power in your prayer life, in, the, in your tongues, in, in, in your, your own receiving, in your ability to move mountains in your own life and receive the power of God? What underlies all of it? And love can be one of the hardest things to actually do because it has to become unselfish in you. It's up to you to decide what kind of person you want to be. I know more and more as, I, as I've seen some of the things I've seen. I know what kind of person I want to be. I want that love to drive me like it's never driven me before. I want a greater revelation of that love than I've never, uh, especially after I got touched by it and I was like, wow, I've never felt anything like that in my life. Can it transform us? I believe it can.
Luke 6, 31. <coughs> How many perfect people we got you? How many people we got have never done something wrong and never made a mistake, have not messed up? Anyone, anyone here taken years to change in areas? It's been stubborn, resisted change, been blinded to change. We've all done it. Yeah, there was only one perfect person ever. And they crucified him. They killed him for his perfection. <laughs> Not one of us has been perfect since then. Each one of us has got flaws. You know, loving a person despite their flaws is quite powerful. Spouses? <laughs> you love the good things in them. Oh, I love this. I love Oh, you just made my heart flutter. Oh, you just made I love that about him. Oh, but his flaws. <laughs> Whatever, big or major flaws. But coming to the point where you can say, I'm going to love that person even despite their weaknesses. In fact, I'm going to love them enough not to criticize them for it, but to get on my face before God and pray for them and be there for them through the change. Luke 6.31 And just as you want men to do for you, to you, you also do to them likewise. It's interesting this verse because this is just as you want men, and that, that includes male and female, I believe, not just male, yeah? But just as you want men to do to you, how do you want to be treated? Now, this isn't just saying how are people treating you. This is saying how do you want people to treat you. Everybody here, how would you really like people to treat you? I mean, you sit there and think, oh, I wish people would do this for me. Oh, yeah. When I make a mess, I want people to forgive me. When I, let, when I do the wrong thing, I want people to be merciful toward me. Even someone says, but I've never felt anyone do that to me. He doesn't say that. He says, what do you want them to do? Even if you've never, ever experienced it. He said, that's how you treat people. Now, what would happen <coughs> within the body of Christ? What would happen within local churches? What would happen in our homes? And between spouses and kids? If we did just that one verse. Just the one. I'm not even talking about all the, I mean... It'd be amazing if we did everything I've talked about today. What would our homes be like if we would operate like this? How many arguments would there be? How many hurting people would there be? How many lonely people would there be? Does the love of God transform a home? Transform a relationship. Isn't this beautiful how the love of God can take a broken marriage, touch it and transform it into something beautiful? Do you know that's possible? It's not possible in the world. The world can't do that. They can work, they can go to marriage therapy, but there's still a selfishness fruiting in it. But we're we're, we're new creations. The love of God has been shed abroad in our heart by the Holy Spirit. It's been put inside of us. 
That means that's beyond my personality or my mind. There's already something in me enabling this that, a, that the natural person doesn't have access to. Now, how yielded you become to that can determine the difference. Yeah? <coughs> how often have you asked God to have mercy on you? How often have you asked God to forgive you? <laughs> I, I lost count long time ago. <laughs> and how many times did I say, God, I'll never do it again? And I went straight back out and did it. <laughs> have you did that? He did it again and again and again and again. He said, Lord, I, know this is, I promise you this is the last time you go out there and do it again. And so you say, I've had enough. <laughs> no, he doesn't. His love just keeps reaching out. He believes. He sees the best. He, he, he sees you the way he created you to be and the way you can become. And he keeps working toward that. It's just amazing. Amen. Oh, hallelujah. Let's, let's pray. Hallelujah. Father, we just want to worship you. Father God, I just, I just want to come before you now, Lord God, and worship and praise in adoration. Father, I thank you for the love of God. I thank you for the, that, that unselfish love of God and the power of it, Lord. It's, it's beyond human love. It's not just a natural human love. It's so much beyond that. So much more incredible. Father God, I just thank you that you help us to operate in the kind of love that we want to experience in our own lives from you. And so, you know, and someone might think, well, you know, when, when they love me how they should, then I'll love them back. It's, it's not what the Bible says. It doesn't say wait for them to do it and then you do it. You do it unconditionally first. Did God love us when we didn't even love him? Or did he, did he wait for us to treat him right before he loved us? No, he didn't. He, loved, he reached out in love. And his love transformed us. Actually drew, drew us to him. So Father God, help us each to become the person of love, Lord. I, I believe James, James saw this and understood this. It's such a, a powerful part. In that, that five chapters of James, not even, a, such, not even a long book, but it's so power-packed. And he really does talk a lot about love and the treatment of people. So Father God, we, we, we want to pray for your love to touch our lives and to transform us and to, to, to reach into our lives, Lord. And we look to you for that love. We look to you for the love of God. And I pray that you'll give us a greater revelation of your love. You know, years ago, God showed me something else about the love of God as well. This was many, many years ago, and I've just been reminded of it. I think, it, I think it's in Romans where Paul says something. Let me just find it quickly. Yeah, give me a moment. Um, 
What did Jesus' love drive him to do for us? What did that mean? What, what was he actually doing? Was he just dying for us? He's saving us, taking sinner upon ourselves. Doing his father's will. Help me find this scripture, somebody. I'm pretty sure it's in Romans somewhere where, where Paul he talks about Israel and he said, "I could wish that I could, that I was accursed for Christ." I think is how the old King James puts it. Or from Christ. Romans 9, I think it is. I've just Googled it quickly. Let's see if I can find this. Romans 9 refers to... Romans, yeah, there it is. Romans 9, uh, verse 1. I tell you the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. My conscience also bearing me witness in Christ and in the Holy Spirit. That I have great sorrow and continual grief in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren. My countrymen according to the flesh who are Israelites. So he's talking about the Jews, yeah? And his love for the Jews. He may be an apostle to the Gentiles, but he loved the Jews. He had a love for his, for his own people, didn't he? What is, what, is he? what is this phrase? I could wish that I myself were accursed from Christ. That word accursed means separated. I believe that, that the Holy Spirit showed me a long time ago, and like I said, he's just reminded me of this. That Paul is saying, you, you know, Paul had a revelation of his salvation. He had a revelation of what Christ had done for, done for him, of his forgiveness, of the righteousness he, was, he had received. He, he, he understood that, didn't he, who he was in Christ. He's seated with Christ as authority. But you know what? The love of God was so powerful in Paul that he's, I believe this is what he's saying, and I, I don't think you'll find this in other theology books, and people might argue with me on this, but I, th I think there was something inside of Paul that said, if I had to give up my place in heaven for someone else so that they could get in, I'd be willing. Mm -hmm. And what would it mean giving up his place in heaven? I mean going to hell for eternity. Separated. Lord, if, if, if the person that I love, if the only way they could get into heaven was for me to give up my spot. My word, isn't that powerful? How many of you would give up your spot for another person? Immediately you feel the resistance, don't you? I don't want to do, I don't, I want to spend eternity in hell. That's what he said, that's love. Do you know that? Now, I know Jesus didn't spend eternity in hell, but that's what he did. He became sin 
so that you could be made righteous. He became a curse so that you could be blessed. He swapped his place for yours. That's what we often don't have the revelation of. He didn't have to come down from heaven. He didn't have to give up the glory and, 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 and everything like that. He's the son of God. Well, who do we become? We become the sons of God. We become joint heirs with Christ. Everything he was to the Father, we become. Well, we're the beloved sons of God now. How did that happen? He took a step and showed a willingness to give up his bit. That was the act of love. But that love was so powerful that it raised him from the dead and he didn't have to give up his spot for eternity. He got it back. That's how powerful it is. But that's very much what he did. It was a divine exchange. Someone says, oh yeah, but he knew it was only going to be three days. That's, that's not what drove him. And I believe that's what Paul is saying. Paul said, if it meant they could get in. Now, I, I know Paul, Paul understood it's not done because it, it doesn't, he's not going to have to give up a spot because Jesus really did it. But I don't think he meant this superficially, like, well, I'm never going to have to do this. I believe there was something inside of him that says, if I had to give up my spot so that they could get in, that is preferring the next person above yourself. And my word, even the thought of that, your flesh is just pushed. No, no, no. I couldn't give up my righteousness, my authority, my happy Christian life for, for another person. That is how unselfish the love of God is. Isn't that powerful? Amen. That one you might have to you might have to sit on for a while. <laughs> yeah. But actually, that's that's what unselfishness is. Yeah. Give up absolutely everything, if necessary. For that person that is actually love love would do that love would do that it's not a bad thing amen let's keep praying father we just thank you lord we just thank you for the love of god we thank you lord help us to really grasp the unselfishness of your love And see that actually that really is true love. That's what real love is. It's unselfish. We just worship you, Lord. We worship you. We worship you. We worship you. And Father, we thank you what your love did for us. We thank you that we have received mercy. We have been given a spot in heaven. Even seated at the right hand of the Father. We, we got it. Jesus' spot in heaven. Best seats in the house. But Father God, I just pray that you help us to become a, dem a living demonstration of that kind of love, Lord, to others. And we just worship you for that. We worship you, we worship you, we worship you. We bless your name, mighty God. Lord, let love become the driving force. Let love become the powerhouse of our lives. Let love become what motivates us, Lord, because this will, re this will release such power in our lives. This will release such, such awesome response in our prayer lives. 
there's, there's nothing that'll speed your prayer life up more than, than operating in the, the, this kind of love. Mm-hmm. Delays will just not be delays anymore. Things you've struggled with, things you've struggled to receive will just start flowing. That, that, that's what I'm getting. There's nothing that speeds up. I never heard that word, but it's used in that context before. But there's nothing that speeds up results in your own life more than love. Very often it's the person you don't want to love. Bless you, Jesus. Bless you, Jesus. Lord, we just want to worship you. Father God, I pray that you help us to be a people where love is in demonstration. Even when we haven't had that in demonstration in our lives up until now, I pray that it becomes into demonstration, Lord. We worship you, Jesus. We worship.